Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us here today in a very deserted city of Westminster as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. I'm Scott Challoner and today I'm joined by Fiona Tothill. Fiona is a horseman, level two coach and equine assisted facilitator at Kingsmead Equestrian Centre in Wallingham, Surrey. Fiona, welcome. Great to have you on the programme with us today. Hello and uh, thank you. It's fantastic having you, Fiona. Now, first and foremost, this podcast is about leadership and effective leadership at that. But what does that word leader actually mean to you, especially in your line of work? Um, with uh, Particularly with the horses uh, and with people, I work very closely with both. So to me, being a leader is actually, um, particularly from the horse's perspective, is being somebody they want to follow. Uh, I need to adapt myself. So not everybody would want to follow the same person. So I need to be flexible and adaptable. But primarily somebody who actually people will look up to and think, yeah, I will follow you. I will trust you. You can take me forward. That word adaptability is really interesting at the moment, isn't it? Because especially at the uh, the political and the business level, that's really being tested to the limit at the moment, isn't it? With the COVID-19 outbreak and everything going on there. Um, but what else um, would you say is also really important in terms of qualities for leaders to have as well as adaptability? I think we need to have integrity. Um, so we actually need to be not just leading for ourselves, but actually leading for the big picture. So we have to have that ability to see the big picture and to hold that in our mind. We need to know that everybody is different and everybody will be coming from a different place. So we need to be non-judgmental. We need to be flexible and able to admit when perhaps we have made a mistake, um, but still confident enough that people know that we can grow from our mistakes, we can learn. So I think we need to be very open-minded, but have a very clear focus and be determined in where we're going. We need to know where it is uh, and do that with confidence. Certainly. And um, you talk about there making mistakes and being able to learn from those mistakes. Um, Do you think it's possible to actually be a good leader without first trying things and getting things wrong and then learning from them? I think we we would always need to try. Yes, we could sometimes do some of our learning in the background. So we could, should be doing our research. We should be looking to um, ensure that we know where we're going, uh, to have clarity, to have understanding, to look at things from different angles um, so that actually you can be open and see things. Uh, however, I think it is very important that when we do make mistakes that we can go, I'm sorry, I can learn from them because we all make mistakes and I think it gives our people we're leading um, much more confidence in us if we have that ability to actually manage mistakes when it happens uh, and lead into or out of uh, a mistake as well as um, just being completely and the wherewithal to actually learn and develop from other states. 
You make some very valid points there, Fiona, and um, we've talked about, of course, your take on what leadership ought to be and also a little bit about your leadership style working with people, but also working with horses as well. But could you perhaps tell me some of the influences that you think are behind your leadership style, be they individuals or experiences that you've had? I've had the privilege of working with some very, well, I would say wise women. It has happened to be women. I have um, had sort of, you know, that's perhaps where my career has taken me. So I have worked with people who um, have been themselves very knowledgeable, but have taught me the power of reflection, you know, taught me to, to actually reflect on circumstances and I think more than anything, giving me that, that confidence to go, yep, this is where we're going. This is what we're going to do. Um, and I've, you know, been, been lucky to, to listen to some um, very influential people in my time, um, which has just been invaluable in enabling me to grow and to see my weaknesses and turn them into strengths. Certainly. And um, do you think that leadership as a whole is celebrated as much as it should be in the UK? Because there are so many examples of good leaders who aren't necessarily public figures, celebrities, and that can sometimes go unseen, can't it? I think good leadership isn't celebrated enough. Um, We uh, celebrate quite a lot of other uh, attributes, which obviously we should. Um, But a leader is often not going to be putting themselves forward and you know, because the very nature of being a leader, um, you're going to want to take people with you, but you're not necessarily going to want to be at the front sort of getting all applauded. Um, so sometimes a, a good leader will just be quietly in the background, um, and I don't think they necessarily get celebrated. Or if it is, their their leadership skills are not what is, is highlighted. So we, we we might see a good manager, or we might see a good um, politician, we might see a good sportsman, but actually do we then say that what makes them really good is that they're also a leader, that they have that ability to take others with them and allow other people to grow because I think that is, you know being a good leader is about bringing out the best in somebody else uh, and not necessarily being the best yourself Absolutely. And I think it's um, important to remember that being a leader isn't just a one man or one woman job, is it? It's just as much about the people around you. And it is important for leaders to essentially surround themselves with people who bring the best out in them and who they can also help flourish as well. Um, interestingly, um, do you think the fact that leadership isn't necessarily celebrated perhaps as much as it should be is something to do with the culture we have in this country? Because sometimes, especially with leaders in the public eye, we see good things about leaders sort of overawed by criticism of them, don't we? Yes, and I think um, we don't, you know, as I say, that the good leader is not necessarily going to be celebrating themselves. They'll be celebrating the success of those people that they've led. Um, uh, so they may not often be saying, oh, I did this, I, I, I took this forward. Um, but I also think that we are a, a society who is quite quick to criticise. Um, so when something has gone wrong, it's very easy to say uh, it's your fault. But actually when it's gone, gone right, I do wonder, we don't often get people say, oh, well done there. Um, so, and, and and if it is, again, it's not necessarily people who actually made the decision because 
it's quite lonely being a leader. It's quite lonely when you're out there in the front because you have to hold the pace and you have to go forward. And like everybody, we have doubts, you know, in these mm. current times. Do, am I doing the right thing? I don't know. It's unprecedented. But I have to be doing something and I have to believe in what I am doing because if I don't believe in it, I'm not going to have people or the horses following me. So if I show doubt, then we, we just weaken the whole system. So it, it's quite lonely out there. And I don't think it's recognized. But you can guarantee if I get it wrong, there'll be a lot of people telling me so. Mm. If I get it right, people will just move forward. I can certainly see where you're coming from. And um, how has it actually been for you over the last uh, few weeks, uh, Fiona, trying to navigate this outbreak? Because I can imagine it's been very disruptive. It's it's really weird because it's as a business, it has been massively disruptive. We we literally stopped as many businesses did overnight. Um, I also am leading a herd. So for, for the staff I'm leading, I've had to, to furlough and, and um, sort of support them. And I'm trying to do that by giving them sort of positive messages and taking things forward. And I'm working quite hard behind the scenes so that when they come back here, they will see some positive changes because I feel it's very important that we've got to lift them. So my my leadership with my staff will be on our return. I have also got a, a team of 40 horses who need to be led through this their lives have changed dramatically um, and they've gone away and been horses slightly. I've turned them out, but I've still had to look at individually and make sure that they're in their right groups and looked after. So it, it's been a real weird uh, combination of less work, more work. Um, but my role in this is, is to keep an eye on the end game. And it's difficult at the moment because I don't know what that is. Um, nobody knows what it is. Uh, but I know that there will be an end, and when it is, I have to be robust and then make some decisions. Again, I won't know whether they're the right decisions or the wrong decisions, but I would have to make some decisions and carve a route forward and be bold. Um, so it's, it's a very, very difficult time. It is, and it's certainly a testing time for uh, leaders in all walks of life um, through this period. Um, I'm constantly running out of time, Fiona, but before we do wrap things up, um, do give me an idea of what you imagine the next 12 months will hold for yourself for Kingsmead Equestrian Centre and what you really, really hope to achieve in that time, particularly going out the other side of this outbreak as well. Right. What I We had a little taste of um, last year. We had equine flu, so we, had, we were hit with the virus then. So oh second year, uh, almost a, uh, a year to the date. And I use it as an opportunity to, to build the business. So things will be changing here slightly. We're looking at possibly making some little tweaks, um, things which haven't been perfect. We've actually looked at and are going to sort of remodel. So some timing, some naming of things. Um, just sometimes literally, you know, how we, how we operate. So there will be some changes. What I'd like to see is that this centre continue to grow. To, so it's important in my reflection to, to look at what we do well um, and to hang on to that because that will be what we need to really build on. I've got a fantastic um, group of clients who I haven't talked about, but I'm their leader too, uh, and we're getting a lot of support from them. So what I want to see in, in, a, in a year's time, I hope that we have learnt 
we have grown and we have actually enabled to come back better and stronger um, as a result of this. Um, so quite what that's going to look like, quite the path that we're going to take, I'm not sure at the moment, um, other than to, to be there ready, already starting to think that you know, at some point the the restrictions will be lifted and I need to be ready. And I've got three or four plans in mind, depending on what I'm told I can do and how I can get things going again. So at the moment, my brain is working overtime, but I can't actually fix anything. Um, so it's a case of just looking and, and keeping options open. But uh, my plan is is to come back bigger and stronger. It's good to hear that there's um, a real plan in place there, Fiona, and also that there's that support from uh, clientele as well. And it would be fantastic to see those hopes borne out and see the centre really begin to grow. And also, hopefully, have a virus-free year in 2021 as well, because I can imagine two years in a row has been uh, quite um, quite the challenge. Yes, absolutely. And uh, we don't want any more viruses here. Uh, and uh, we want to be able to do what we do best, which is, is work with the horses, work with people and actually bring um, an understanding and a learning um, and continue to do that. So that would be really, you know, my hope and, and dream for next year. It um, sounds absolutely wonderful and it will be fantastic, I think, to perhaps um, have you back on the programme in a few months' time, Fiona, to revisit this and just see how those hopes have been uh, borne out. Um, But for now, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on today's programme. Really, really insightful. And um, thank you so much for coming on um, for the benefit of the listeners as well. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, Coming up next in the programme, we'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with Liz Field. Liz is the Chief Executive of the Personal Investment Management and Financial Advice Association, the trade body for firms who provide investment management and financial advice services for individuals and families. I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking to Liz, and that's coming up now. I'm Jonathan White, and we're joined today by Liz Field, CEO of PIMFA, Personal Investment Management and Financial Advice Association. What a great mouthful. Liz, thank you very much for coming on today. No, thank you for inviting me. No, not a problem. A complete pleasure. And I think uh, it would be a great place to start, if we may. There's maybe a little bit of background uh, for the listeners. Obviously, PIMFA does work in uh, uh, across the board these days, but of course it was only founded uh, uh, three years ago when, of course, um, MAPFA and uh, the WMA were merged. That's right, yes. Um, I think it really was a, a reflection of of where the industry was going in terms of uh, the provision of financial advice and helping individuals with their um, personal financial futures that we felt that it was necessary for the two bodies to merge together. Um, but both, at, well, certainly the Wealth Management Association and its predecessors have been around for nine, well, nearly 30 years yes. now, actually. But you're quite right. Um, as PIMFA, it's, it's been nearly three years now. And the, uh, probably a very wise move because uh, the, the uh, uh, PIMFA's been going from strength to strength uh, since. Uh, what would you say at the moment uh, is, are, are, are the priorities uh, for yourselves there? Um, I think there are a number of priorities. I mean, we represent a diverse group of um, of businesses which all have one thing in common, which is that they face the clients. They 
they face the consumer. Um, so whether that is face-to-face or whether that is um, online, uh, it's all about helping individuals to plan and save and invest um, for themselves and for their families. Uh, but we're going through uh, a number of, of key challenges. I mean, um, looking at a, 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 a macro level, if you like, um, markets are a little turbulent. Um, it's it's very challenging um, to... Um, kind of navigate the the uh, investment management world so uh, even more reason why you need a financial advisor and uh, and an investment management firm to help you um, because it is quite a complex arena and that's not helped by the lack of financial education uh, more generally so um, if you have that as a backdrop uh, and then politically you have what's going on um, with post brexit uh, and where the rules are going to come from in future, all of that is still to be negotiated. Um, so it, it's a whole melting pot of issues that uh, that our firms are trying to face. Oh, without a doubt. I think uh, it, maybe, Lizzie, there's quite a few understatements there in terms of the challenges that are yes. uh, occurring <laughs> at the moment. But there's quite a lot to pick up uh, uh, on the on those points because uh, I, I think it's, 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 a, it's a unique time almost, Lizzie, isn't it, where there are a different set of challenges that advisors and individuals are uh, being confronted with from a lot of different angles. Um, and perhaps if we can start, let's start at the beginning, in fact, you bring up the issue of financial education. Yeah. Now, that's something I think uh, you can talk to anybody in the business and they'd agree with you on that front, Liz. We don't do it properly in this country. Where no. do you think, Liz, it should start from and how do we fix it? Okay, so I think, I mean, the first thing to say is that there's a lot of fantastic effort that we see across the whole of the financial services sector, uh, our sector um, amongst that, where they they try and go into schools um, and provide financial education. You go onto any website um, of some of our members and they've got some great educational material. Um, but there isn't a national framework that 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 wraps itself around the whole of the financial education efforts within our industry. And without that, um, I think they're, they're the the businesses are facing a lot of um, barriers when it comes to actually getting into schools. Um, I mean, financial education is part of the, um, per, I think it's personal health and social education um, a piece of the curriculum, but there isn't an exam um, that's at the end of it. So when it comes to schools and, and how they're being judged, it's on metrics such as um, exams and without an exam for financial education, um, I think uh, it's go- it's just it's just going to keep coming up against the same barriers. Mm. Um, and financial education is not the same as maths. So uh, what we'd also mm. quite like to see is is that we have more um, kind of money type questions within the maths curriculum, because that will also then bring it to life uh, for young people, for uh, youngsters and you know school kids. It will bring it to life because it's about things that they have to deal with or, you know, that they 
they deal with on a day-to-day basis, which is money. So the more that we have that is populated in the curriculum that is about money, um, the better, I think, because that then we'll start to promote a culture of, of savings and investments, which we so badly need in our in in in, in our um, in our country. Without a doubt, it's because and again, you've hit the nail on the head because there's only so much that can be done without the involvement of the curriculum in schools. Yeah, uh, and you know, you can, as you've pointed out very well, uh, it, companies can try all they all they might, but it, it's difficult if it's not a, a joint effort. Uh, yeah. And I think as, um, uh, for example, uh, with, with the new government we have, there have already been positive noises at the very least, whether they become actions is another <laughs> thing entirely regarding what you could consider a, for, uh, uh, a far more applied mathematics in, in a lot of uh, uh, the system. But ty- time will tell. And that's something I think we could probably dedicate in the next hour to. Liz, yes, I think you're right. We probably <laughs> shouldn't. Um now, looking at a couple of other points to pick up that you've already raised here, Liz, uh, and it goes back to the word you've already said, which is uncertainty. Uh, it, it seems as if the markets, investors, people, we've been in a state of limbo for the last three and a half years. Uh, we're talking, of course, three months after, two months after uh, a general election that resulted in a a large majority for the Conservative Party, and therefore at least we have now uh, uh, left the European Union. Without without dragging you down the political rabbit hole <laughs> here, at least, is there a hope now that because of that clarity, we may start to see a far more s- s- far more certainty in the market? And what are your hopes for the next twelve months? Um, I think. I think that we've still got a little way to go because um, whilst, you know, 31st of January came and went, um, you know, we're now, we're now in a negotiation period. We're now in a transition period. Um, and for, for UK um, savers and, uh, and investors, uh, in terms of where the rules are made, there's still, there's still not some clarity about that. Um, you know, we're, we're still, uh, well, we don't know yet whether we're still tied, um, or will be tied to the, um, European rulemaking, um, down the line. That's still to be negotiated. I mean, we've always said that actually for, for savers and investors, we need stability in the markets and we need access to funds. Um, however, it, you know, the, the majority of our of our firms look after UK savers, um, and therefore, a one of the positives we see is the ability to have a a rule book that makes sense for UK savers and investors and UK firms. Um, so there's an, uh, we think that there's an opportunity there with definitely without um, watering down regulation. So we're definitely not talking about less regulation. What we're talking about is smarter regulation, which makes sense for firms and makes sense for clients. Um, and as we've got a very unique Industry in terms of savings and investments um, um, in Europe, in Europe, England or U- the UK rather, and and Ireland are unique amongst our European counterparties. So when you have a European rule book or a rule book that is set in Europe that doesn't bear any relation to the model of intermediation that we have here, that has caused us problems in the past, and we're hoping that we we will be able to affect that 
in the future with a local regulator and a local rule and a local rulemaker. But we will see. That is still all part of the of the melting pot. So whilst I'd like to be posi- positive and, and optimistic about the market, <laughs> um, we've still got this period um, of uh, of negotiation and uh, until we see where we go to with that. Uh, and of course, you've got financial services and fisheries amongst the same piece, you know. <laughs> famous fellows, aren't they? Indeed, um, absolutely, absolutely. So we've still got to wait and see, I think. It, absolutely. Um, and it will be an uh, interesting year, if nothing else. Um, yes. uh, now, you, you, you've mentioned there, at least uh, the role of, uh, of course, regulators. I know uh, in the last month or so, obviously, uh, uh, PIMFA has. Uh, given its fair amount of critique to um, the SEA, um, are they at the moment doing their job correctly? Um, I think part. I th- I don't envy the regulator one iota. Um, uh, I think if you look at the the number of people that they have in the supervisory team and the number of firms that they have to regulate. Um, it, it, it is not an enviable job um, by any stretch of the imagination. Yes, we have been critical, not least of all because we are expecting um, better supervision to prevent firms from failing and certainly to prevent firms from failing in the spectacular way that they have uh, in the last few years, which has impacted on the size of the financial services compensation scheme levy. And this levy is paid for by by firms within the industry. And our firms are a majority of small to medium-sized firms, and their bills have gone up exponentially. Our criticism is that, you know, we we don't object to having an FSCS levy um, or, you know, the lifeboat funds to pay, you know, recompense to to consumers. Uh, and, and our view is, has always been that the polluter pays, but the polluters have, have long since folded by the time it comes to any payment, which means that good firms are paying for bad firms. So the system, we believe, is broken. Um, and, and I think that is about the regulatory perimeter. Um, you know, what is it that the, that the lifeboat fund should be protecting? The perimeter is too big. So that, you know, what is the nature of risk? That all needs to be um, uh, redefined, we believe, and recalibrated, which then enables you to determine well, if that's what risk is, then how do we protect it and how do we levy for it? Mm. Um, and that is all linked to better supervision. So that is something we have been critical about. Um, we're in the process of finalizing a paper, uh, which we um, which we have positioned in a constructive manner, which is these are some of the things that we believe FCA you should be looking at in your supervisory process and we want to help you to do your job better. Now I, I know there's no such thing as a, a magic wand Liz and perhaps it'll be putting you on the spot <laughs> but if let's imagine let's let's imagine you did have one just for the just for this afternoon perhaps and you were able to change one thing about that uh, system and perhaps I shouldn't ask this because if your report isn't out yet you might want to reveal something that's in it um, but if you could <laughs> Um, what, what would be your number one priority? 
if we if we were to if I were, my number one priority to to solve the system in terms of reform. In terms of reform, what regulatory yeah, reform yes. you mean? Um, I think. Oh goodness me! The one thing. Um, it is a bit of a mean I, question. Uh, yeah. It is. Gosh, yes. Wow. Um, I, I think it's about the regulatory perimeter. Sure. Um, I, I think let's have a look at the regulatory perimeter, um, which is you know gives some certainty to to clients about what is protected. And what is not protected, which also then gives some assurity both to them and also to the advisors who have to advise those clients on what what's the pathway to success for them and what and and I think if there's some clarity around all of that, then everybody will be will be better off. Great. Now I'm conscious of the time here, Liz. It's already catching up with us. So perhaps if we can take a a little step back and uh, and look at. Um, uh, the operations of Pimford again. It's what Pimford do, does so well is its ability to build relationships with so many uh, different uh, organisations. Can that really, Liz, be underestimated? The importance of having those working relationships with with the departments and the organisations that you do have. No, I don't. I, I think it's absolutely fundamental um, to any business, actually. But it's certainly something that that we have in the middle of the stick of rock that is PIMFA. Uh, I mean, we talk about the, you know the values that we have as an organisation. We we are a small organisation, uh, and we can't do our job unless we work in partnership and collaboration with others. So, relationship building. Um, and maintaining and creating a good foundation of relationships is absolutely fundamental to what we do. Without a doubt. And I think that's the key point, Liz, isn't it, that that's so applicable to any realm, whether it's business or, or politics or uh, any areas of life. And I think and because of the time here, we, we, I, I must start to wrap up. But um, perhaps I can ask, Liz, looking forward, and I know the next 12 months is full of uncertainty, what are uh, the plans PIMFA has for it nonetheless? Um, so I think our well, our key priority this this next twelve months is 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 to be talking um, much more, um, and we 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 have been lobbying um, a fair bit on this. But because of Brexit, um, our ability to actually kind of get into um, see the policymakers. On both sides, I think to have that dialogue has been a challenge, um, but we're finding that that is changing. They, you know, they they want to hear from us, so I think our priority is around that regulatory perimeter, um, and what does what does regulation look like for uh, for us moving forward? But at the same time. It's not just about the future of regulation, but it's also about the future of supervision because the two of those go hand in hand. Um, so those those two um, are kind of what are, are the main the main areas over the course of this next year. Having said that, um, you know we have a manifesto that's got six that's got six pillars in it, um, and regulation and supervision and the future of that is is just. Um, is just one of those things. There are a whole host of another of other things promoting the sector as a as a force for good and as an integral part of a of an individual's kit bag um, for financial and mental well being uh, is is another key strand of, of activity. So I think 
future of regulation, future of supervision, and then promoting the sector as an integral part of, uh, of um, everybody's kit bag in building their personal financial futures. Well, Liz, there might never be a, a more important year, uh, or has not been in a while, that will determine the future of all of those things. And perhaps never a year where so many people pay attention to what happens to Britain's fish stocks. Um, but it's been <laughs> an absolute pleasure discussing that uh, leadership with you today. Uh, I hope very much we can sit down perhaps later this year uh, when there's a bit more clarity perhaps and talk through a few more things. Thank you. I would love to do that. Liz, thank you very much. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.